Well, are you ready for the end of the world? We're going, <laughs> we're, we're going to experience it through the word uh, tonight. So would you open God's precious holy word to the Revelation 16 and we have come to verse 12 and we'll pick it up there and finish uh, the Revelation 16 tonight. And the sixth, that is the sixth angel, poured out his bowl upon the great river Euphrates. This water was dried up so that the way of the kings of the rising of the sun might be prepared. Okay, now the water is blood, right? It's sort of dark coagulated blood. It's not like it used to be. When we look at this, we're going to have to think that it's not like it once was. Uh, men were scorched. You remember that? One of the previous studies because the heat really came up and they had sores already. Those who'd received the mark and worshiped its image. And then this really, really was painful. The description would be such that the polar ice caps would have melted. And I say that to bring us to this understanding. The Euphrates River has its beginning on Mount Ararat. It's always snow-capped, at least in these present days. So it comes down from there. Then, of course, it makes a, a mighty river. And in, one, in some places, the river is more than 3,000 feet wide. The river itself is about 1,800 miles long. So obviously one of the most significant rivers in the world, and especially in this part of the world. But when we get to this point, the river is, is like thick, coagulated, dark blood. We've already discussed that. We saw that, I think, last time. So it's, it's not like what you think, but with, but, with, but with the way that it looks and the environment, the situation, the environment, the angel does whatever has to be done so that the Euphrates dries up. Why? There's one reason. So that the way of the kings of the rising of the sun might be prepared. These would be, at least in these days, if this is something that uh, is, is going to happen fairly soon, then those, the major players would be the leaders of China, India, and Japan. India has today, now the, the, the population of, of the human race will be greatly diminished at this point. But today, India has 1.38 billion people. China has 1.43 billion people. Japan doesn't have that many. They are, they are the two largest standing armies in the world, those armies that march. And so, and, and in, in keeping with this and thinking about it, quite a bit of chatter these days coming from uh, the border between India and China. Uh, they have had skirmishes. Uh, they have had uh, battles and battles. 
they've killed one another's soldiers in battles. So there's a lot of saber rattling and both India and China are nuclear powers. So it's, it's an interesting thing. They are, uh, they are, they are seeking uh, more notoriety as a nation. India has a, an economy that's growing. China, of course, has its economy. And both have significant military forces. Japan is beginning to push back today against China and is beginning to do things and make moves to reassert itself economically and possibly militarily at least uh, at least as far as possible taking into consideration the, uh, the World War II treaties and so forth. But I'm saying all that to say this. We're setting a stage here for what Daniel describes in Daniel chapter 11. Now there are only 12 chapters in Daniel. Daniel chapter 12, that's the end of it. Daniel is not as uh, descriptive in some ways as the Revelation. Doesn't give us some of the details. But in, in this regard, Daniel gives us some details that the Revelation doesn't give to us. We sort of have to take the whole thing into consideration. The Euphrates River with the sixth bowl of wrath that's poured out is dried up. Whatever, whatever it looks like at that point in time will dry up. There's one reason. To open the way for the kings of the rising sun to make their way to Armageddon. That's the only reason that uh, this is all part of God's purpose and plan in his wrath. Now we'll see how this works out as we go along. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet, three unclean spirits like frogs. You ever had a frog in your mouth? No? Well, I neither. Not a, not a live frog. I ate a frog leg once. I didn't enjoy it. Uh, and it was, of course, it was all battered up and fried. It wasn't still kicking. Um, but I know that my mother used to scold me because frogs get excited when you pick them up. And <laughs> release themselves uh, on your hand. So it's, it's kind of a nasty thing to think that uh, the dragon and the beast and the false prophet had frogs in their mouths, but they weren't really frogs. They were demons. It says, for they are spirits of demons performing signs which go forth to the kings of the whole inhabited world to gather them together unto the great battle of the day of God Almighty. Now we're, listen, we're in the sunset of human history here as we know it. This, I mean, the world has gone crazy. I want you to think now, we saw last time that uh, the kingdom of the beast was darkened. You, know, you, may, you may remember that. The implication is 
that as the judgments of God fall on the world, the great Gentile power of the Antichrist, the beast, apparently begins to get some pushback by, by, other, by other kings, other nations. Now, the kings of the East apparently weren't, weren't really part of that confederation that gave birth to the Antichrist. But they are ready to make a move because they're being deceived into making that move by the deceiving demons through the words that come out of the mouth of the dragon who is Satan, the beast who is Antichrist, and the false prophet. Three very strong, powerful, deceitful demons performing signs. And this is aimed at the kings of the whole inhabited world. The purpose is to draw them all together into one area of the world to the great battle of the day of God Almighty. Now, let me go back to Daniel 11. The, the king, the Antichrist, he's called something else in Daniel 11. This is the latter part of Daniel 11. First part of Daniel 11 covers history. But then there's this part that talks about this Antichrist and things. And what you see from there in the last several verses of Daniel 11 has never happened. So he hears, he hears unsettling news from the East. And so the Antichrist begins to make his move and, and armies get on the move. And they are headed... They are headed to confront one another and they're headed to Armageddon. At the bottom of this whole thing will be the reports that come out of, out of uh, the mouth of the dragon and the beast and the false prophet to deceive these kings and especially the kings of the east. So they're being deceived and drawn literally to Armageddon. The movement of the kings of the east, according to Daniel, it, it disturbs the Antichrist. And so he begins to posture and he begins to, uh, begins to move his armies as well. And they are without fail headed to the Middle East and whether they realize it or not, at this point in time, they are all going to butt heads at Armageddon. But it's going to be more than just the Valley of Megiddo. Some of us perhaps have been there. I've seen it. The, the, it's a vast plain. Uh, and I could see how you could get millions and millions of, of soldiers and armaments out there. But previously, I think it was back in chapter 14, but previously we read how this thing is going to encompass more than just Armageddon and just the city. It's going, to, it's going to go for about 200 miles. So these are the forces of the entire world. And a lot of people have died, right? A lot of people are already dead. All of the forces beginning to posture and move in on the Middle East. 
Now the satanic purpose is for the destruction of Jerusalem and Israel. Jerusalem at this, by this point, we saw this earlier, a couple of chapters. Jerusalem has already been judged. And so now what you have primarily in and around Jerusalem would be Israelites or Jews, Israelites who have come to a saving knowledge of the Messiah. We find this in Zechariah 14. All of these forces begin to move on the Middle East and apparently certain forces are thinking that other forces are going to get an upper hand. And so in deception, with great deception, they're being drawn. And the whole thing, the, the whole working is a thing that is demonic and probably the evil thought that they have is to finally make a uh, make an attack, an assault on all of the Jews and all of Israel that they can find and just kill them. But they're not working with each other. Therefore, when you read other parts of Scripture, especially Daniel, the war begins between the, the nations here. So... The Jews are being mistreated in the city of Jerusalem. You can read about that in Zechariah 14. And the whole thing is to gather them all. Look at this. The kings of the whole inhabited world to gather them together unto the great battle of the day of God Almighty. So this is the, this is the spiritual darkness, spiritual underworld that is, that is moving. And of course, Satan doesn't care if, if they all wipe each other out. The main thing is he wants to wipe out Israel and any other, even the Gentile believers, if he can root them out. His last stand is this. If he could stop Israel from becoming the kingdom, if he could somehow destroy the people who are supposed to be the, the initial recipients of the kingdom, namely Israel, and the king who is the son of David to sit, sit on the throne of David. Evidently, this is the thought of the dragon. If he can just stop that, he will have shown God to be a liar and he will have won. So maybe this is what's behind the whole thing. The Bible doesn't really say. You just have to put a lot of different things together uh, to come up with a conclusion like that. Regardless, a, a battered humanity scooping up all of the last resources that it has, soars and all. Are, are in blind madness, moving everything they have toward the Middle East. Here come the kings of the East. Here comes the Western power. And they're going to clash first with each other. A little parenthetical statement. Behold, I'm coming like a thief. Blessed is the one watching and keeping his garments so that he should not walk naked and they see his shame. And of course, that has been a warning to the church all the way through the time of the church. 
Now back to what the subject matter was previously. They gathered them together under the place called Armageddon in Hebrew. Let me stop there. There's a, there's a, there's a matter of language that has to be uh, attended to for us to have a clear understanding here. It begins back in verse 14. Now we're looking at verse, what is it, 16? It begins back in verse 14. It's talking about three evil spirits. And uh, they, they are deceiving the kings of the east and then the kings of, of the inhabited world. And if you have a King James Version, it says, And he gathered them together unto the place called Armageddon in Hebrew. Now, I don't know how far you want me to go with this, but it has to do with a previous neuter plural noun identified by a singular verb in the original text. The proper, the proper translation is they gathered them together. Why? Because the whole thing goes back and rests on, for they are spirits of demons. Okay? And that's why we say they gathered them together. Who's, who's doing that? Well, the great, the great evil demonic power with signs, we saw that previously, right? Uh, performing signs and they're coming out of the mouths of the dragon, the beast and the false prophet. So there are words, there are speeches. As hard as this is for us to believe these days, there may be even some fake news involved in this. <laughs> but they get them all stirred up and they're headed to the great battle. They probably don't even know what they're going to do when they get there, but God does. And God is using this whole thing for his purpose. They gathered them together under the place called, and there's an H there, Armageddon is how we transliterate it into the English. They, the place called Armageddon in Hebrew. Now that'll be the central focus, but this whole thing will spread for 200 miles. I mean, this is a massive show of force from every nation that's left in the world. And whatever is left in air forces and navies and, and battle tanks and armored personnel carriers and battle rifles and all the everything, it's all moving and converging. There is a darkness, a blindness. There is a delusion. And these people cannot help themselves they are, they are mad with pain, crazed with suffering and distress because of the wrath of God that's being poured on them. And their last best thing is to go and win a war. The, the best place, even today, for nations to fight against each other is in the Middle East, right? No different here. 
They gathered them together under the place called Armageddon in the Hebrew. And the seventh poured out his bowl upon the air. Now, let me, let me, let me say this. Let me go back. Joel chapter 3 says the same thing. They call it the Valley of Jehoshaphat, the Valley of Decision. And, and the Lord says, and in the case of Joel, the Lord says, I will cause all this to happen. So it, this has been prophesied for, for so long, this, this, this final battle between nations. The seventh poured out his bowl upon the air. And a loud voice came out of the temple from the throne saying, Gegonin. Man, that's in a perfect tense. That means it has happened. It has been spoken. It will never be changed. It will always and forever be done. This is it. Nothing else. It is done. Tell us that. It's different from what Christ cried on the cross when he said it is finished. This is, no, no, no. This is, this is finality. This is this is while, while what Christ did, of course, in accomplishing his work. But he accomplished his work with a view to grace. There's no grace here. Grace, the day of grace is, is just gone. It is done. Now look at this. A loud voice came out of the temple from the throne. That's God. So God's voice cries out, this is it. It's over. Now, the interesting thing is they're down there pounding on one another and they're, they're dying and suffering and all this kind of stuff. And Jesus hasn't even showed up yet with his, with his force from heaven. There were flashes of lightning and voices and thunders. There was a great earthquake such as there had not been upon the earth since men were upon the earth. So great was the mighty earthquake. Now, he poured that bowl of wrath on the air. Air, uh, air, uh, ton, air. In, in, the, in the classical Greek, you're taught that there are two words that are translated in, in the English, air. One is air, air, air you, you could say alpha, epsilon, rho, A-E-R, air. We get our word air from that, obviously. The other Greek word is aether. And in the, in the classical Greek, the dividing line between air and ether was the top of Mount Olympus, which is about 6,000 feet above sea level. The thinner air was ether. The lower, thicker air was air. So this is the lower, thicker air. Pours his bowl out upon the environment, the immediate environment, the environment, the air that is immediate to the earth. Now, Satan and his demons and all, they've been cast out of heaven and they're on earth. They don't have this kind of access. So some believe that this is this 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 bowl that's being poured out upon the air is a is a cleansing agent. Here's why I say that, because we see that this great earthquake is worldwide there are flashes of lightning, thunders, so there's, there's this horrific lightning and thunderstorm. I don't know if, if it rains or whatever, might, doesn't say. Then a great earthquake, and this earthquake is all over the world, and it is the 
worst earthquake in the history of the world. Now, let me tell you what's happening. And we can we can get this from Isaiah, the last six or so chapters of Isaiah. Jesus Christ is preparing planet Earth for his return and his millennial reign. And he is preparing to restore it to the way that planet Earth was in the time of the Garden of Eden. Okay, so he's cleansing the air. He is shaking everything down, everything in the world. The Bible says nothing like this since man was upon the earth. Such a great and mighty earthquake. Now, here's what happened. The great city was split into three parts and the cities of the nations fell. You know, sometimes <laughs> if you kind of, if you kind of, you know, brain dead like I am most of the time, you well, you can drive through a big city and you think, man, how are we going to, how are we going to clean up this mess, you know? When the Lord comes back, I don't have to worry about it. It's all going to fall down. All the cities of the nations of the world fall down. A particular city, which we come to understand, is the city of Jerusalem. is split into three parts. Now, this is not a bad thing. This is not judgment. As I said earlier, this is preparation for the millennial kingdom, for the millennial earth. We learned in the Old Testament, when Jesus comes back, his feet touch down on the Mount of Olives. And it splits that mountain in half. So that's part of the split right there. And living springs of water gush forth when Christ touches down from, from this, this peak where he touches down Mount of Olives. And half of the water will gush and flood to the east and half will gush and flood to the west. So here comes, here comes a Niagara of water unlike anybody, anything anybody has ever seen. Right from under the feet of the Lord Christ when he touches down. And you may think, well, what about all that stinking stuff that used to be water that's now blood? Jesus is going to wash it up. This is, this is going to put fresh water. I mean the Lord's water. This isn't just... Water. This is this is the Lord's pure water. It's it's going to go everywhere. So Jerusalem is split into three parts, and part of the split is that from this high point. Now, remember, uh, maybe it's in the next one. Every island fled. Mountains were not to be found. Let me stop there. Go back. So there are not any more mountain ranges. This earthquake is so tremendous. There are no more islands because islands are just mountain ranges, suboceanic, right? All of that is shaken down. A cleansing gush of water that probably, this is just the gospel according to Charles. You can take it or leave it, but this is my mind working on it. It is a flood of water going in two directions and the watershed, the high point, is where Jesus touched down. So it goes west and it goes east. It goes toward the Mediterranean. It goes toward the Dead Sea, but it fills all that up and it just starts washing everything. 
The air is cleansed by the bowl of wrath that was poured out because the devil is consigned down there to earth. All the cities have fallen. No more mountains. No more islands. And the world is being prepared in, and, and, and rebuilt into this thing that not far into the future from here will be the most glorious, beautiful paradise worldwide that mankind has ever known or has not known at least since the Garden of Eden. Now, Babylon the Great was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fury of his wrath. There's still a place that has been the heartbeat of the evil world system. God's going to take care of it. Every island fled, mountains were not to be found. Great hail about a talent weight. Now that's about 100 pounds. Somewhere around 100 pounds. Hailstones. I want you to think about this. Here are these guys out there headed toward Armageddon. What happens when a missile of ice that weighs 100 pounds hits a guy? Well, it squashes him, right? It splatters him. So now God is picking off the earth dwellers with 100-pound hailstones. And they're dying everywhere. Comes down out of heaven upon men, and the men blasphemed God on account of the plague of the hail, for exceedingly severe is the plague of it. He's softening them up. You have to understand that finally, when, of course, when Christ comes in the Revelation 19, we'll have some explanations that will enlighten us about the finality of things in the next uh, two chapters, the 17 and 18. And then in 19, Christ comes in power and glory. And I've already told you, all he has to do is show up. Just the power and the brilliance of his appearing. The Shekinah, the, the glory, the, the, the glory of the Son of God who is coming back in power and glory and in wrath to fight a war. He sort of, <laughs> he sort of turns up the heat on that glory. And we already saw from the Bible how the flesh melts. Whoever's left hasn't been squashed by a hailstone. The flesh melts. Vitreous fluid melts out. Their bodies, their bodies turn to fluid and blood drop. That causes the river of blood. It goes 200 miles and that teaches us that the battleground, that the actual stretch from one army to the other, this thing goes about 200 miles. They're just everywhere. And they're all going to die except the elect of God who have been protected and prepared for Christ then in the judgment of the nations when he comes back will say to the sheep, enter into the kingdom which my father has prepared. For you and those are the people who will enter into the kingdom in their physical bodies and they will populate the earth for a thousand years. A thousand years. So here's, here's where we are. 
They're coming together. They're getting squashed by hailstones. And then we see in the Bible that knowing that Christ is returning, they stop fighting each other and turn their attention toward fighting the returning Christ. That doesn't work out very well for them. They just all dissolve in the presence of the Christ of God. And then there's a thousand years of a millennial kingdom that's set up. At the beginning of that, Satan is chained. He's bound in all of his demons. And it's paradise. It's beautiful. People are born into life the way Adam and Eve were created, into, a, into an, an, an unfallen state in that sense. They, 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 they don't have the tempter to tempt them. They have the, the beauty of a restored planet uh, to enjoy and to pr- in which they can prosper. The prophet also teaches us in the Old Testament that the nations are designated times where they are to travel as nations and go and sit at the feet of Jesus. And he teaches them. I mean, the word of God is teaching <laughs> the word of God. Then Satan loosed for a little season. Another rebellion squashed absolutely. Then the great white throne is set up. And the universe as we know it melts with fervent heat. It goes away. According to Colossians 1, it is the the sunestomy in the Greek. It is the the, uh, binding power of Christ that holds everything together. Protons, electrons, neutrons, they're moving with such high speed and, and we don't know there's this unknown thing that holds it all together. Well, it's not unknown really. It's the power of Christ. He will apparently release his grip on that stuff and the universe becomes a nuclear explosion and there's one thing then that shows up and that's the great white throne. And out of, out of the time-space continuum without its universe The only thing left where dead people are is Hades, Hades, and it gives up the dead. And they are resurrected in horrible bodies that are designed to die forever. Constantly being decayed. The worm never dies. Constantly being tormented with fire. The fire never dies. Unable to see or sense anything about them because it is outer darkness. Scotia. It is, it is the outer data. The outer, you don't get any darker than that. Blindness, torment, decay, just dying forever. That's the great white throne. And the judgment therein. And then all of those consigned to the lake of fire, including Satan. And John says, I saw a new heaven and a new earth. We, the body of Christ, the elect of God for all the ages, through all the ages, 
will witness and experience something that is just beyond imagination. And that is recreation. That is the creation of a new heaven and a new earth. Well, we'll read a little bit about that as we get on into the uh, latter part, last couple of chapters of the Revelation. So we're going to stop there and we'll have our deacon prayer time.